Be still and know that I am God. Pastor Angela, I'm so glad that you brought that up with the children. My children were there. I can't promise that I won't co-opt it. Be still and know that I am Dad. You heard Pastor Angela. That's not what she said, Dad. We continue today with our third sermon in the series on Bonhoeffer's life together. The first sermon on the first chapter was about community and about looking at uh, and being models of the community of, at the end of the timeline, the eschatological community, community in our time. And we can do that because we have a vision of that in the person of Jesus. So how does our community look and act and love like Jesus. That was the first chapter. Last week we talked about the day together and what a community does and how we pray and read scripture and the importance of that singing and the way that it lifts us up as we share in community with one another. And today we focus on the third chapter which is the day alone and the importance of silence and stillness in our days. Wade in the water. Wade in the water, children. Wade in the water. God's going to trouble the water. Let us pray. Shatter that silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. So the song, Wade in the Water, is like go down Moses and let us break bread together, like swing low sweet chariot, these songs, they're all born from the mission of the Underground Railroad in the mid-19th century. The songs have a deep spiritual and emotional meaning. They're meant to connect the Old Testament communities of exile with that 19th century slave experience. The songs are meant to encourage leaders who would, like Moses, help people move to brokenness, move from brokenness to a new land of sorts. But they weren't only theological, these songs. They were also very practical. Embedded within these songs were codes, were meanings to direct those that were on the journey, the, the journey to freedom on the Underground Railroad. Wade in the water, for instance, was meant to be sung as a warning to those that were on the run. Fellow slaves would sing it loudly from their makeshift porches when they knew that the slave catchers and the dogs were out on the hunt. It offered notice to get off the path and get into the water where they can't track your scent. Because what's coming What's coming after you will not be outrun. What are you running from? 
What is coming for you that will not be outrun? I wonder how many of us have a quick and easy answer to that question. I can tell you, Pastor Nate, what I'm running from today. Not many of us, if any of us, can claim the crisis of the fugitive, but there comes a time in all of life when some desperate part of life comes running and it won't let up. And so what do you do? What are you going to do when you don't know what to do? This is what makes what Bonhoeffer asks of us this week so disruptive. He tells us whoever cannot be alone should be beware of community. He says you cannot avoid yourself. He says every day needs certain times of silence. But while on the one hand that sounds beautiful and romantic and something that each and every one of us can probably say yes, I need more silence and quiet in my life, especially when you have four children and a dog. <laughs> On the other hand, doesn't Bonhoeffer know that it is in there, in the silence, that we oftentimes find ourselves facing the things that we were trying to outrun? Doesn't he know that sometimes entering into silence is like entering a room full of people we've been trying to avoid, right? In that room is someone called past regret. In that room is someone called inadequacy. In that room is someone called impending crisis. In that room is someone called financial woe. In that room is someone called fear of death. All of these people I'm trying to avoid. And so are you. And this silence that we're being invited into, it's like four walls. And it means I can't run anymore if I go in there. It keeps us from running. And this is where we find that man that we read about in the scripture passage today, the one who is in Jerusalem by the, the sheep gate where there is a pool called Bethsaida. It has five porticos. When we find him there, this man, he's literally unable to run. He's been unable to run for 38 years, and he doesn't know what to do. What do you do when you can't run anymore and you just don't know what to do? Well, he doesn't have an answer to that question, any real answer, except for what all the other, what all the other invalids, as we read in Scripture, all the other invalids are doing, and that is sitting around this pool. We don't know the exact number of them there, but they're all huddled around and they believe that this pool had some special power to heal those with disabilities. And so, we, and so we read about this legend, Kyle Childress explains, he says, legend said that on occasion an angel, this is why they're around this pool, an angel would trouble the waters of the pool and the first person into the water would be healed. 
All gathered watched the surface of the water for the smallest sign of rippling waves, a small bubbling from the underground spring, or even a slight breeze could cause a stampede. All of them trying to be the first in the water, because the first in the water would be the one to be healed. And so there was this superstition, a superstition that said, if you can just be the quickest, if you can just be the, the most able of the disabled, if you entered this pool at the right time, well, you can, you can heal yourself, really. If you can just be the most able of the disabled, you can do it on your own. You can have freedom from whatever it is that's holding you back. I think there are a great many things that serve as a, a pool in this day and age. They come by many names, some obvious ones. Wealth is a pool, right? Wealth is a pool. If we can just get to wealth, if we can be the quickest to wealth, well, then we'll be healed. If we can be a church that gets to wealth and holds on to our wealth, well, then we'll be healed. We wait around, right, even when we have it, and we realize that it has no power to actually heal us, distract us, but not actually heal us. Do you want to be healed? That's the question. That's the precise question that Jesus asks the man. You realize he doesn't answer the question. Jesus heals him anyway. Isn't that beautiful? The man doesn't know that he needs Jesus. He doesn't know that he needs healing, and Jesus heals him anyway. But what about you? Do you want to be healed? Or do you want something else? There are other pools, some less obvious superstitions. Silence, I think, can actually be one of the pools. Some people will say, you know, if I can just get quiet, if I can just get silent, if I could just take a retreat, well, then I'll be healed. But that's when silence, that is when silence is a superstition. It's a tool for self-gratification. It's nothing more than a warm bath. Bonhoeffer clarifies, he says, We remain silent solely for the sake of the word. Not thereby to dishonor the word, but rather to honor and receive it properly. In the end, silence means nothing other than waiting for God's word and coming from God's word with blessing. See, for the man in the scripture, unable to run for 38 years, it wasn't the pool that healed him, right? It was the one who met him there. And this is why, like Bonhoeffer, I want to encourage you to wade into that room called silence, not because the silence itself will heal you, but because it's in there that Jesus, alongside all those others you've been trying to avoid, Jesus tends to show up. He's the one that brings healing. 
The problem is, of course, even Jesus is prone to being called a superstition, right? Maybe not in this room. I was listening to a comedian. He was the kind of comedian that complains about everything and is funny when he does it. And he was funny. But from a mile away, I could see that he would be using religion as a part of his bit. And he would, of course, also have to come after Christianity. I'm usually pretty good at this kind of thing. I'm not easily offended, and quite honestly, it's en vogue to poke at Christianity. And so I'm used to it. But then this comedian, he wouldn't let up. He says, the church, they brainwash you. You come to church with an empty brain and they fill it up like a jelly donut. Say what we want when we say it. Say it again and you can go home to your toys. All right, I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. Now can I go home to my toys? And you repeat everything they say. That is what he understood our faith, what we do, to be. And then he goes on. He, he describes how he lives in L.A., where Scientology is common. And he said, the first time I heard the story of Scientology, I was like, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. I said, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard, while simultaneously still kind of believing that a woman never had relations and had a baby that walked on water, died, and came back three days later. And that was it. I had to shut it off. And I thought of that comedian. How nice for you. Life must have either hurt you real bad or it must be so good for you. You must have no need to run from anything, nothing chasing you down in that room called silence. No dogs when you are alone. How nice for you that you can go ahead and shred the very thing that keeps so many of us from giving up. But you got paid. So congrats. But I'll tell you that I'm not going to apologize for my faith. And I, for one, am dead tired of any insinuation that I should. And I'll admit that there was a pool in Jerusalem. And that pool preyed on the irrational. And I'll admit, too, that there are superstitions in this world. And I'll even admit that people use Christianity as if it were a superstition. And I'll admit that people will use it as a superstition and pray in public so that others might fawn over their piety. And I'll admit that 
Christians will use and accost the scriptures for the sake of their own identities. But there are others, like Bonhoeffer, who make the world better because of their faith. I believe that some of you, many of you, make the world better because of what we call Christianity. Bonhoeffer, do you know what he did? Bonhoeffer came to the United States when the war was about to start. And he regretted it almost as soon as he did, and so he had to find a way back. He didn't know what to do, like that man at the pool, like many of us. He didn't know what to do, and so he waded into silence. He waded into Scripture. And there in the pages of Isaiah, he read, He who believes does not flee. And he knew right then and there he couldn't outrun what he faced. And so, as if hearing the song being called from the porch, he waded back into the difficulty. And he returned to Germany on the last boat to sail to Europe. He joined up with a group that conspired to assassinate Hitler. And then he became a valued messenger due to his privileged status as a clergy person and from a, a family of wealth. He was jailed. He was held captive in jail and in concentration camps for several years. And just weeks before his jail was to be liberated by the Allies, they hung him by the neck until he was dead. The SS doctor who witnessed Bonhoeffer's death later recalled a man who he said was devout, brave, and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds, he said, and I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Bonhoeffer sent one final message to George Bell in England. He said, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer was at peace with what he could no longer outrun. He was at a place that many of us long to find. He was at peace not just because he was committed to the good thing, but because he had a life that had waded into substance and into silence. He had waded into the living water. So whatever you might be running from, stop running. Be still and wade. Wade into time alone. Wade into silence. Wade in the water. Wade into the living water. God's going to trouble the water. Amen.